This is episode 31 of season two of the Coffee Break podcast. Today, we're joined in the studio with one of our very own team members, Thomas Heavey. He's our training director. Thomas brings to the conversation lots of experience from his time in the U.S. Coast Guard, where he learned a lot of processes and procedures, as well as many years through restaurant management and training. Thomas has helped to craft the training curriculum for our teams here at LockDock Security, and he's currently in his third training class with new team members. So we're really excited to have a conversation with him today to kind of break down how he has developed a training curriculum and some of the resources and tools that we use here at LockDoc to try to create the best and effective team members as possible. So grab your cup of coffee and get ready for today's Coffee Break Podcast. We got so much to say, we got a podcast to make, we're sipping on lattes and it's time for a coffee break. Time for a coffee break. Oh, yeah. All right, welcome back. Thank you very much again for joining us. Thomas, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Absolutely. I know you just got back from a big trip. Yeah, I was able to go on a mission trip with my church down to Costa Rica for a week. So we had a really, really exciting time. Took 13 people down there and... um we're able to feed over 275 families. Oh, wow. So it was a really neat trip. That's awesome. Well, uh, and I, you're one of our first guests that actually refuses to drink coffee. So I, I, <laughs> I am not a coffee drinker, and I was a, a sailor. So most of those guys do drink coffee, and I've just never been a coffee drinker. Well, we, we tried to offer it to you and convince you of it otherwise. But anyway, all right. So you know the drill. Yes, sir. On the Coffee Break podcast, we have five rapid fire questions to kind of get to know you a little better. So we'll dive into that now. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Are you prepared? You're not prepared. Right. I'm not prepared. If you could switch places with anyone in your family for one day, who would it be? My wife. Okay. I, I, I would like to, to see what that side of it is. The kids interact different with my wife than they do with me. The the, the task that she takes care of at the house, I, I would like to see that side. Yeah. Um, that, would be, that would be interesting. Cool. All right. Number two, what is the most random thing in your wallet? A fortune cookie fortune out of the Chinese restaurant. There you go. What what does it say? Anything you want to share? I, I really don't know. No. There's there's probably several in there. I have no idea what it says. All right, uh, number three. If you could create one holiday, what would you create? Wow. Um, create a holiday. Uh, that's I. I'm kind of stumped there. Create a holiday. Yeah. Um, you never, you never thought about creating a holiday? Thomas Heavey Day, National Ice Cream Day, I guess that is. There, there is already an ice cream but day. it's not really a national holiday, is it? I don't know. It's just what... Yeah, it's, it, would, it would have to be something in the, in the February, March where there's no good holidays. So I, I know when I would do it. I don't know. We would celebrate whatever needed to be celebrated. But <laughs> it, it would be in that long break there where we'll there's not... We'll come up with a, a celebration. Yeah, we'll, any, anything. All right. Uh, number four, what was the first concert that you ever attended? Uh, I attended a heart concert, um, and it was at Carowinds Palladium, and I slept through it because I was about six years old and had played at Carowinds all day. So, <laughs> One of those uh, went on at 9, 9 p.m. and everybody's yes. toast. All right, and then last question on the rapid fire. What totally rad expression did you overuse in high school? What totally rad expression did I overuse in high Dude. Dude? It, it was dude. Everything was dude. All the time. All the time. All right. Hey, you passed. 
Okay. Final score, 643. Ooh, Lucas got like 700. So uh, well, yeah. I didn't want to bring it up, but that's I, I didn't have a up. name for my holiday. So I'll... <laughs> that is true. Negative points there. So uh, I want to jump into a conversation I kind of set up at the very beginning of this. Um, I think this is something I, I'm on a lot of group calls. I chat with a lot of people in our industry. And the biggest question that everybody says, or, or the biggest conversation that everybody brings up is, it's hard to find good trained people uh, to bring into your organization. And so, you know, we've had this conversation over and over and over again. And we made an intentional effort a long time ago that we wanted to try to scale our business at a rapid pace. And one of the inhibitors to that is having good training, because you have to have good training to bring people on. So, uh, that brings us up to the conversation today. The, the question that you get all the time is, how do you find good trained people? Our answer to that is? Is we don't. Um, we find people that we feel like are trainable. Yep. Um, I think that that what we do in our industry, there is there is a lot of nuances and there is, there is huge value in having 35 years of experience in this industry. But there's not a whole lot of guys looking for a job that have 35 years of experience in this industry. Yeah. So what what we really look for is is people that are that are teachable and that have the positive attitude that fits into our culture and we can put them through a training program and build the confidence in our industry and at that point they they have they've been able to flourish yeah so to reference a couple of other podcasts that we've done uh you could go back several episodes and find one uh, hiring for culture and training um, to, to, to fit within that. That was a conversation that we had with Lars Johnston. A couple of weeks ago, we sat down uh, over video and chatted with Guy Robinson, mm-hmm. who runs a training program with Asa Abloy. And he talked a lot about the training process. So it's it's something that we talk about regularly, and it's it's the philosophy that we try to live by, is we hire people that fit our culture, train them to do the job. So one of the, tr- the tasks that we've had, and, and so uh, is how do we train people consistently um is is been always the the question um so i'm trying to think back i mean this has been uh coming up to a year now what we're probably about 10 months in um you moved into a training director's position and what was the directive that you were given when you were first (laughs) moved in that position um that we had three new hires starting in about three weeks so that was um and i needed a training program built before that that got done and that was that was a fun challenge um and it 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 worked out great because it had to be done there was nothing you could put off and say well i want to look at this later yeah all the all the small things needed to be looked at in the beginning and i i think the the best conversation i had was actually with chris and we my my struggle was where do we start mm-hmm. i knew all the information that needed to happen but where did it start what is what is the basis and and we took our industry we took what we do and we got all the way down to a a lock and a cylinder yep um and a key and a cylinder was where we started this is a key this is a cylinder which is is very very basic yep but we went from that and we continued to build off of that almost in a pyramid by getting very, very strong around a key and a cylinder to then understanding Master King, to then understanding what kind of locks and lock bodies that it goes into, and we when we built off of that. And that has that has not changed as far as the fundamentals from the very beginning. Um, a lot of the philosophies, a lot of the ways we've we've tried to train it have changed, 
But the fact that we start there and that's where we build our base from has not changed at all. So uh, it would, a takeaway that I'm, I'm hearing you say is if you're looking to develop a training program in any industry, I mean, we're talking ours you know, kind of specifically, but if in any industry, you're looking to develop a training program. It's think backwards, kind of reverse engineer. What are the basics and fundamentals that we need to have to, to get started and then build from there. Because if you think about it, like you said, in terms of everything that is done in our industry, it's so broad. There's so many different things to teach on that you could write a training curriculum that's, you know, thousands of pages and you put somebody through a training program for two years. Oh, absolutely. And, and you still wouldn't know everything. And, and they wouldn't know. And I, one of the things I joke with the new hire classes about is um, I, I tell them in the beginning, I say, I'm going to teach you absolutely everything there is to know in the locksmith industry. I'm going to teach you everything that you could ever possibly want to know, and you'll be in training for the next 34 years. Yeah, <laughs> and and then they'll make some new stuff, and, and we'll continue to, to yeah. train. So, so that's I, I say that as a joke at, on the very first day to then kind of tell them I'm going to show you the basics of what we do and get you confident in and feeling around what we do. And at that point, I'm going to be able to be there and assist you as you learn more, you know, the more intricate details of some of the nuances in our industry. So the lock in the cylinder in our industry is the basic fundamentals. There's a lot of things that spur off of that. And another thing that you've really, I think, uh, that I've seen you, you learn through this process, because it's, Having having you dedicated and focused in the training side of our business, it's you you get to you get to kind of cut out a lot of other distractions and focus only on what works and what doesn't work rather yes. than the speed. So one of the I know the big goals that we started out with this is let's figure out what that program length is, stick to that, and let's not try to rush it. Um, if we have to extend it, that's that's fine, but let's not rush it because we don't want to shortchange the process because we want to have effectively trained people. So defining what that time frame looks like. And for us, I think uh, at the very beginning, and you could probably uh, talk to it anymore is we had, I think we had an idea, but it was a theory. It was a hundred percent out of the dark. Um, we were looking at 12 weeks and, and that's been scaled back a little bit. I, th I think it falls more into a 10 week range, um, which is eight to 10 weeks is really where that range is. And, and luckily, we've never had any distractions at all in any of our classes. So um, so none of that has been extended at all. Sure, yeah. um, we, we did have to take a month off with this class because of a lot of other things. So they're they're getting back into class now. And, and with the very first class, they, they came in around Thanksgiving and Christmas time. And that, that threw our schedule off. So if, if we ever get one that goes perfectly, which I don't think we will, yeah. um, we'll have a, a very defined timeline. But it's somewhere between that eight and ten weeks is where we're able to, to go from a brand new person that has never worked on a lock in their life, but fits into our culture, fits into to what the understandings that we need, mm -hmm. and has the motor skills. I mean, they have to understand tools to an extent, um, or at least be comfortable around them. And from that point, I feel like within eight to ten weeks, we can really put somebody on the road that is confident and successful. And that, that put, sets us up to have four hiring classes every 12 months. Basically, once a quarter would be, be the goal of that. Yes. Um, and, and because of, you know, I think this is one of the important things, is the development of the curriculum. So one of the things I really want to point out is that we started with a rough outline, but it was – I know that it's been changed and probably half of it eliminated and changed down that process, but I guess – 
a takeaway that I've learned from it is to to be aware of where you need to start, but don't overthink it. Because if you try to overthink it, then you're never going to get to a starting point. It's progress over perfection, I guess would be would be the 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 theory on that. How did how did you kind of approach that? What was what was the initial you know, after you got through the okay, I've got three weeks to kind of get something functioning. How did what was the process that you did that you w- walked through to kind of get that up and going? Um, my my big focus in the very beginning was the first week. Um, I think the first week of a new job for anybody is very impactful, and I also think that most of the things you do training wise in the first week are are very not impactful, for lack of a better term. They there's so much going on in that first week. You've just started a job. You're getting all this new information. Yeah. You're also going to the HR stuff and doing the paperwork there. You're just kind of in shock. Yeah, you're just you're in shock. You have a million questions. So that's why it worked out really well that we talk about a lock and a key in that time. And they also get a chance to pick a lock in that time, which gives them a, a win. The first time that cylinder turns that they were able to to pick a lock and see that is amazing. Um so that's that's a part of the training program that that they get very early. We follow back up with all of that stuff through the next few weeks, um, and really in week two, that's when it it gets more technical. Um, and one of the things that that I've noticed is that having a classroom and then a lab is the absolute best way in our industry to get good results. Um, just for an example, right now, this morning, we did classroom for about an hour before the podcast, and the class that I have now is doing a lab over on one of our doors, and they're taking a lock on and off the door. Each one of them is just going through the process, and, and, and they will learn a lot from it. Yeah. Just it's one of those things that, that repetition sometimes is a great, great reminder. Okay, so so just kind of define that a little bit. Maybe it's it's commonplace for everybody. What do you define as classroom versus lab? How does that how does that work? Uh, can, can just give a loose definition a- for it. Absolutely. So my classroom time is is where I'll, I'll have slideshows. We'll have worksheets that we work on, and and just you know just normal classroom teaching. And then once we go hands on, I consider that a lab, and I try to separate the two okay. because I feel like if if you add the classroom and the lab all at the same time, it's hard for people to stay engaged. Gotcha. Um, they they want to play with the toy while you're talking, and they want to, and so I I try to separate the two and make that, you know, work that way. So in terms of lab, okay, uh, you're the hands on component. What are some various things that that you've been able to utilize um, to to kind of set the stage for that? Some of the different setups, you know, you just mentioned one of our doors here, like that's literally one of our exterior doors that they're working on. But what are some other ways that you've been able to implement a, a, a quote unquote lab? Um, one of my favorite labs that we do is is just an unboxing and a reading of the directions. Ah, okay. um, so I don't read directions off of any PowerPoint. Okay. We physically read the paper directions because that's what the guy in our industry is going to have at the door. Mm-hmm. We also use some of the apps that we have. That There's some apps that we use that have directions on them. We use those in the lab, but we separate that from the classroom. Um, one of the things I try and build is an environment that makes you feel like you're at the job site. Um, okay. that, that is a very big environment for, for what we do in our industry because our guys are out there, especially when you're new. You're out there. You're at the door. And, and this is what you have. If you learned it a different way, then you're not comfortable. So we try to learn at the door when we're actually doing the hands-on stuff. And we have, a, I know, a training door that's kind of uh, a variety where we can swap certain things out. And it gives our trainees the ability to have repetition in their 
Absolutely. So our training door has um, removable wood panels on it. We're able to install lever sets. We're able to install door closers. Um, we're able to install exit devices and, and those things where they can do it repetitively on a fresh door where they're having to drill fresh holes mm -hmm. is the best training possible because that first time you're doing it in the field, it's not like you haven't done it before. Yeah. It's, um, it's something that you've done and you did it at a door. You didn't do it at a desk. Yeah. Because that, that really changes the way that, that people learn. That's, that's a very good point. A lot of times in training, it's very common practice to have a, a sample um, on a mount, you know, that just a portion of a door that you can do at a desk. And it, it changes the perspective, I think, because you're able to easily access both sides of, of the lock yes. just from sitting there in a comfortable seat. And the practical nature of it is when you're working on a door, you might be on your knees. You might have, you know, you might have the door forced open so that you can actually work on both sides. There's a lot of other elements that come into play there, um, and that training door allows it to be an actual kind of practical application. Uh, I guess a, a shout out to Security Lock and Key in Roanoke, Virginia. They, um, John Perdue up there actually uh, in, kind of developed and invented that door and put it together. Um, and, and it has been a huge, oh, uh, it's, huge asset. It's a game changer for us. And it, it's funny, one of the one of the little nuances in our industry that, that I get to do on a regular basis and and now the class that went through 10 months ago reminds me of it on a regular basis, how helpful it was, is I will not let anybody else hold the door uh, and I won't let them hand guys tools. Yeah, yeah. Because hmm. if you learn how to be at the lock and, hey, will you hand me this and, hey, will you hand me that and hold the door here for me, yeah. then when you get out there in the field, you don't know how to set your tools up correctly so you can reach them. Uh, and you don't know how to fight against that door closer that somebody else held for you. Yeah. So, so making the person that's actually doing the work independent there um, is obviously more of a struggle during the training process. Sure, sure. But it, it definitely helps them on the other end. That's very interesting. So finding ways to take actual job site elements and bring it in. All right, I want to pause on that conversation, pivot real quick, and kind of go back into why, kind of some of your background. So you've been with uh, LockDoc now for three, three and a half years. Three and a half years. Um, so when you were mentioning earlier about 35 years training and experience, you, you, you didn't have the benefit of that. I, I did not. But one of the things that um, that was very interesting in the process and one of the kind of fundamental theories that we've been working off of is that you need to have some experience, but it's almost equally or more important having the ability to teach, having the ability to communicate an idea to people rather than just have all the knowledge in your head and not be able to communicate it out to anybody. So we really were trying to focus on the teaching side um, and the experience and the curriculum side will will build upon that. So what experiences did you have that brought you into uh, understanding how to teach and communicate ideas and, and procedures and so forth? Um, when I was when I was in my early 20s, I worked for a restaurant and, and opened some stores with them. So that was a training role. Um, and it was, you know, an, a new hire training role very similar to what I do now, but it was very, very structured. So I had the book, I had the manual, I had all the information, yeah. and, and I went to a class that taught me how to teach it. And then when I was in the Coast Guard, I was on a tactical law enforcement team, and in my last year there I worked with the training team, so we trained the guys. But I had been through that for years and had been through the training program. It was just a, a the military rotates every four years. It was my rotation up gotcha. to be on the training team. Um, 
but building the program has been my challenge because there there wasn't a program here at LockDoc that was successful. Yeah. Um, but there was obviously a ton of knowledge and a ton of training materials. They they just weren't compiled. Yeah. So that's one of the big struggles that I'm still working with to this day is I'm compiling everything in a way that's going to be replicatable um, to be able to, to do it here, to be able to give this class to someone else and say – hey, this is what you need to do here. This is when you need to do this. These are the things to look for. And that is my end goal is to to build a training program that would one day be able to just hand to somebody with enough knowledge and the ability to teach, like you said, yeah. that may not know everything about the locksmith industry, but would know enough to be able to teach what was already given to them in a curriculum. Yeah, to be able to follow that curriculum and and bring, like you said, it's, it's very interesting in most any organizations, locksmith, door, anything outside of that in any business, there's a multitude of people that know a lot of different things about the business, but we all become so busy that we do not document it. There's no process. There's not a lot of written down documented processes that say, this is how things are supposed to happen. And so that's one of the reasons that's one of the detrimental reasons why people don't have good training processes is because it's all, it takes so much time to verbally communicate every idea. Yes. So you're taking the, the philosophy of building a curriculum so that it can be communicated and that you see, um, regularity. So class after class gets the same information in the same period and it's all communicated and kind of checked off. Absolutely. And, and I think one of the, one of the things that I've noticed is I think most of this industry as a whole, the, the training process is you, you get in a van with someone else and you get trained mm-hmm. as you go to job sites. Watch. So today mm-hmm. you may be working on this and tomorrow you may be working on this and, and you may do a hundred of these and then none of these, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like, just depending on what kind of jobs come in for that particular tech. We're here. I, I start you at a key and a lock and we go through all of, not all of, obviously in this industry, there's thousands of things, but we go through all of the things that are staples, the things that we see on a regular basis. And with that building in a progression, it builds confidence. Yeah where if you were riding in a van with someone and y'all did a hundred rekeys but no door closers, just as an instance, when you get out in the field, door closers are going to be your your weak point, obviously, where if you go through this training class, you've done a little bit of everything. You haven't done a ton of anything, Mm -hmm. but I've tried to build your confidence on most of the things that we do. So a couple of weeks ago when we had Guy Robinson on the podcast, one of the things that he talked about, one of the theories that he works off of is uh, the counterfeit money philosophy where uh, when people are trained to to recognize counterfeit money, they're, they never touch counterfeit money. They, they only touch real money. They only handle and look at real money so that when something is not right, they can quickly identify it. So uh, the question that I had for you is, what are some ways that you're able to implement that kind of philosophy and training with our team members? Because you can't, it's, it's hard to train on troubleshooting. It's hard to train on knowing what you don't know type thing. How are you approaching that with, with your training classes? Absolutely. So one of the things that, that we developed, and actually me and you developed it here one evening, I, I guess we were probably here till 6.30 or 7 o'clock that night, is, is a, a program we call LOCKS. Um, and LOCKS is basically a, a way to walk through at the opening 
and kind of just inspect all of the impo- uh, all of the components of a door. Um, so you, you check to see if the door latches, to see if it opens, to see if it closes, to see if the keys work, and then to check the structure around it. And what I try to do is is implement that in every opening that these guys go to, to where they're looking at it at before they ever d- diagnose a problem. They're looking at the entire opening. Yeah. Then they'll fix whatever the problem is, whether the problem is what the customer said or whether the problem is something completely different. And then at the end, they look at that entire opening again. And that has been very successful. Um, I think that tunnel vision in, in this industry and in all industries is is a huge problem with, with troubleshooting. Well, my, my door won't close well, it ends up being that your door closes absolutely fine. Your door won't close because there's a rock in the bottom of your door. Yeah. But people keep working on the closer, trying to get it to close past the rock. Um, so that's just just noticing things like that and getting people to think outside the box and look at the entire opening has really been the philosophy. So with that said, I wanted to to, to kind of take a side note on that and, and recognize that because you were able to step away from the day-to-day and be able to start working through the curriculum and then observe how people are working in the field, you were able to kind of recognize what are some consistent, um, I'll say fail points, I use that word very lightly, but some consistent issues that we're having in troubleshooting. So everybody troubleshoots different. And like you just said, sometimes it's easy to get tunnel vision and think it's all, it's this problem. How do you train people to look at the entire opening? And that was kind of the direction that you went is, is what can we do to help people give them a methodology? You know, that, that 21 point checklist, that 10 point checklist, whatever the inspection process is, but make it so that it is easily understandable, repeatable, portable, so that they can take it with them and almost uh, an easy memorization. Well, in, in all honesty, our fail point was that that in this organization we had a 10-point checklist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went around throughout the organization and asked everybody in the organization to name off the 10 points, and I had a couple of people get eight. Yeah. Nobody got nine or ten. Yeah. So nobody knew what the checklist was. So when we came up with the locks So if nobody program, knows what it is, nobody then, can use then it. Nobody can be checking all ten points if sure. they don't know what it is. So we simplified it down to locks. It's a word. It's it's easy to remember. And then, then I've built kind of a program that we've been doing in training all year where we keep going back to locks and each component and walking through what happens. Yeah. It's faster and it gives you a full look at the opening versus just focusing on wherever the, the obvious issue was. So I want to touch on something that you just kind of alluded to and, and sidestep, and then we'll come back to this conversation. Continued education or continued training, because we're, 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 we're only talking right now about these new classes, the new hires that we're bringing on, but continued training is something that you're focused on as well on a weekly basis. Absolutely. So we have a, an hour each Wednesday morning, um, that, that we do training in our all hands meeting. We actually split up and I have all the technicians. Um, and I try to base that training this year around the locks program. So for the first probably two months, we did latch. Now, we didn't just obviously look at the way a door latched for two months. We looked at all of the components to how all of different locks that we deal with latch. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we discussed different ways in troubleshooting through that. And then we looked at doors opening, and we, and we looked at that for about a month and a half of how a door opens, whether it's hinges, a continuous hinge, sitting on pivots. And we got into some technical things in that. We had one week that was just about pivots. 
But that's that's how our training philosophy has been based on for this 12 months. And we'll look at something different for the next 12 months. But over this year, we're, we're almost three-quarters of the way through the year, I guess, at this point, or we are through the LOCKS program. Yeah. Um, so we're really diving into the keys part now, and we're going to get into keys and key blank identification, and we'll have some individual classes on that. But having the, the thought process of looking at a 12-month period and deciding what do we want to train in this 12 months. Yeah. And troubleshooting was what we decided as an organization. Then my challenge was how do we how do we lay out troubleshooting for 12 months? And it was to take locks and and break it down into smaller portions yep. and and give more technical training when needed. And sometimes it's just, you know, a, a broader looking at the way doors latch and, and the, the troubleshooting of that. And a couple of ways that I, I've recognized that you guys are doing this is you're paying attention to um, any callback type issues that we're having uh, to, to understand, hey, these are some things that we need to improve on or, or bulk up on. But also, like you just said, looking at it at a 12-month period, but also recognizing that people are going to be uh, coming into the organization at different phases of that. So how do you make sure that it's continued, that they're, that everybody's getting the same information on a regular basis? Absolutely. One of the things I, I try to force myself, I'm a very reactive person. Mm-hmm. So I try to force myself not to be reactive in training. If we had three guys that, that went out and, and had the same issue with a key, yep. I try not to do training on that key the next week because that's not proactive. Gotcha. So I've, I've, I try to stay at least three weeks ahead of myself. Yep on what we're going to train on. And then if we do have a bunch of key issues this week, I may try to find a way to fit that in next month. Yeah. Um, that way it, it's not reactive. I've had some time to think about it. I've had some time to investigate it. And if I keep the training schedule set up a few weeks out, that forces me not to be reactive, to be proactive. Yep. And that's what allows me to constantly add information for new guys. Um, I was out of the country for a week and we did updates to track via. So I've got to actually you know, kind of go back and, <laughs> and get caught up on that. It's yeah. amazing how fast right now our industry is moving, especially here at LockDoc. Um, and, and you've got to, you've got to stay on top of that. So one of the other pieces of this that I, that I think is relevant is that we hire in classes of, of more than one. So uh, I know for years within our organization, we would hire one person, try to train them and launch them. And it would take six months, a year, and it really kind of slowed our process of growth because we could only train one person at a time, and it was kind of hand-holding that situation until we got uh, until until they were conf- confident and comfortable and we were confident and comfortable. We have had three different classes since you started this program. Uh, the first class was three people. The second class was two people, and this current class you have now are three people. How have you seen that work? What are some of the... the, the um, the, the experiences that you've learned from training a class of more than one and some of the things that you have taken away from it. it it's really funny because each class takes on its own personality. Um, and, and that personality is driven by all the people in the class. That, that first class was a very joking, very, very, very attentive class, but they like to joke and have a really, really good time during the training process where the second class um, gathered up the information a whole lot faster than the first class, but they were very quiet. There was not a lot of jokes. It was no. not a. It was very very business. Um, so it, you have to kind of adapt to what that personality is, um, and then and then building trust. I mean, one of the hardest parts for me is these guys obviously came here for a reason, 
but then they're introduced to me, and for the next eight weeks, they see me every single day. I have to to build a trust with them, which is one of our core values. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to be very intentional about that in the first couple of weeks because the faster I build trust with them, the faster they learn from me in a, in a, in a better way. So it, it's also interesting because, you know, we, we're, we've seen some success with this. And um, one, of the, one of the downfalls of the former method that we were using for training was it was lengthy and it was frustrating from the, the trainee's perspective because they were, they, it, they would, they just, they lacked confidence in a lot of areas and they had to struggle through some things. And so one of the, the kind of goals that I've seen with this is that you're trying to build confidence early in the process and give them the resources to be able to get out of those situations easily because in our industry i'm sure like in many others especially in the service industry you never know what you're walking into and and it's hard to prepare a hundred percent before you walk into it unless it has been solely scoped out and even then there's a there's a variable of percentage so uh giving the confidence and then giving tools and resources to be able to 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 work through it rather than just to kind of shut down and feel deserted or alone in the process i think that the what fall right back to what i had just said the trust um i go back to the first class and once they hit the road and they were out in vans on their own my phone rang 24 7 mm-hmm. which was what was to be expected but they would only call me yeah. they didn't trust they hadn't built that trust with the team mm-hmm. they had a project supervisor that, that they just they, they just didn't call. It was me. They had, they had been with me for eight weeks, and they would only call me. So one of the things that I've tried to do now is in the training process, I have them start building that trust. And they'll have questions that I obviously have the answers to, and I'll say, I want you to call so-and-so and let them explain this to gotcha. you. And I try to kind of spread that a little bit because the more knowledge that they have, the better off they're going to be. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I tell you what, this has been a very informative conversation. Um, I, I've had a couple of takeaways from it. One is to make sure that you understand what, what the end goal is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, try to set something up that is repeatable, something that can be shareable, um, something that's scalable, and then hire for people that you can train and teach. Make sure that their attitudes are positive and that you're bringing the right people into your organization. And then continue to document. Focus on documenting the things that you want to to make important and relevant so that they can be applied. Absolutely. I think documenting the timeline, documenting um, d- documenting training classes that were successful, mm-hmm. and, and then making the changes as you do the training classes has been been a big part of this. Um, I'm telling you what, it is always fun to have a good conversation and to learn. Hopefully this is information that can be useful to other people that are watching or listening. So uh, if this is your first time watching or listening to the podcast, uh, hey, we've got tons of these episodes. I think we're close to 50 now with uh, all kinds of information, including uh, training, hiring, um, how to market your business, how to scale your business, leadership tips and practices. Um, and it is very, very beneficial for uh, for anybody that's watching or listening. So we encourage you to subscribe uh, so that you get the latest episode every Tuesday, yeah, whatever platform that you're on, if it's Facebook, YouTube, if you're watching, uh, then then we have this broadcast every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. And then the uh, audio version of this is released shortly thereafter. You can find out all the information on that at lockdoc.net slash podcast. 
Thank you very much for joining us today. And we'll see you next time here on the Coffee Break Podcast. To learn more about the topics discussed today and to connect with us online to hear all of the episodes available, visit lockdoc.net slash podcast. We got so much to say. We got a podcast to make. We're sipping on lattes and it's time for a coffee break. It's time for a coffee break. The Coffee Break Podcast is brought to you by LockDoc Security. We'd love to connect with you online on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Just search L-O-C-D-O-C-I-N-C.